not supposed to be stuck. Seized. Disconnected. Lifeless. I was made for more than this. Not to stay, but to be restored by the one who designed me. Refined and renewed as he does his work. And then to be driven by a force, alive and connected to those around me, and working for something greater, propelling each other forward in motion, living rust-free and keeping speed, to be part of something bigger as I live out my purpose. I was made for this. I was made to grow. When Lisa was a little girl in the second grade in Alabama, she didn't have a whole lot to eat. In fact, her family was pretty poor. What she would do is she'd wake up most school mornings, she'd make herself a PB&J, she'd put it in a brown paper bag, and then she'd go to school. Well, she had a friend of hers at school. Her family was a little bit more well-off, and what, her, uh, what she would do is she would bring an incredible lunch, and she would share it with Lisa. Lisa was blown away that you could actually have meat between two pieces of bread. And so what the girl would do is she'd break the sandwich in half, she'd give it to Lisa. She didn't realize the seed she was planting in Lisa's heart. Fast forward a couple decades, and Lisa meets a guy named Freddie, and Lisa and Freddie have this heart for people who can't afford food. So they open up this restaurant in, in Alabama, in Bruton, Alabama, called Drexel and Honeybees. And it's unlike any other restaurant you're going to find in the area, because if you walk into Drexel and Honeybees, you're not going to see a cash register. You're going to see a donation box. When you walk into the restaurant and you're given a menu, the menu doesn't have the cost of the food on the side because everything is by, no, by donation. So if you show up to eat, you can eat, you can make a donation, but if you can't afford it and you just walk out of there, there are no questions asked. She was interviewed by a, a, a local news station and she said these words, the hours are long, the cost is high, but it's a calling for us. The notes people leave in our box tell us how much of a need there is. I got one the other day and it said, because of you, a family of four was able to eat today. That's worth a million dollars to me. Now look what happened here. She had a burden on her heart. God placed a burden on her heart. And she and Freddie acted on that burden. And they decided that it was a calling that they were going to step into it. And it came at a cost. A cost of time, a cost of talent, and a cost of treasure. Because they've spent their, almost their entire life savings as well as their nest egg on this restaurant. Which begs a question. It begs a question, how much are you willing to be disrupted to make a difference in someone else's life, to restore hope to the hurting? For Lisa and Freddie, it was a huge disruption, but it has been worth it. Well, if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. If you want to be in the chain-breaking business, if you want to restore hope to the hurting, making a difference in the world, you have to choose to be disrupted. If you want to be in the chain-breaking business, if you want to restore hope to the world, you have to choose to be disrupted. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we hit week six of our seven-week series called Growing. It's in this series in which we're pulling apart seven discipleship goals that we want to hang our hat on here at Cornwall Church. 
We kicked it off talking about loving God and loving others, having Jesus at the center of our lives. We talked about what it means to have a vibrant prayer life, a vibrant prayer life as well as what it means to pay a price for discipleship because there's a cost that you pay when it comes to discipleship. We're going to talk a little bit about that more today. We talked about what it means to commit to the gathering here and online. We've talked about what it means to have a big church get smaller when we grow in community. Last week, we talked about what it means to connect with God through Scripture, and this week, I get the honor to talk about restoring hope to the hurting. Now, before I get started, I always want to make sure I, I give the shout out to the, the pastors, the theologians that I leaned heavily in on to put this teaching together. Uh, there are three of them. One of them is a guy named uh, Jeff Jones down in Dallas. He's a senior pastor of a church in Dallas. Another is Albert Tate. He's a senior pastor of a church in Monrovia, California. And then I'm going to build on a teaching that I, that I was doing last week on, from Dr. Tim Keller. We're going to build on that. It comes a lot out of his uh, Reason for God book as well as Generous Justice. So we're going to be hanging out today in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, this story today is really amazing. It's got the, the makings of a, a, a Stephen King novel. We've got demons We've got farm animals. We've got a haunted cemetery. And it's going to be a pretty amazing teaching, I think, with, with what we see, what Jesus shows us in this teaching. So we're in Mark chapter 5. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Let me set the scene for what's going on. We always go back 2,000 years ago to that most important event in history, the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about that last week. Our story picks up within the first year of Jesus' three-year earthly ministry, so probably two to two and a half years before the resurrection. Jesus has already given his Sermon on the Mount. He's already chosen his disciples. He's taken his boys out in a boat. They thought they were going to drown. He calms the wind. He calms the water, so it shows that he has power and authority over the elements. He's healed a bunch of people up to that time, showing he has power and authority over disease. Now we're going to see today that he has power and authority over the spiritual world. So he tells his disciples to get in a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee, Galilee to this place called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. Now no Jewish man, woman, or rabbi would ever step foot in this place because it's Gentile country. When we say Gentile, that means it's, it's non-Jewish. And we're going to see a big reason why non-Jewish or Jewish people would never go to this area. So Jesus says, get in the boat. And when he tells his boys to get in the boat, they better have a boatload of Dramamine because it's going to be a wild ride. So here we go. Mark chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20. Let's start out with just verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea. That's the Sea of Galilee. In the country of the Gerasenes. Some of your, your translations say Gadarenes. So they came to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. So if the disciples knew where Jesus was taking them, they would freak out because no Jewish rabbi, no Jewish person would step foot in this area. But Jesus says, go to the other side. I want you to go to the other side which begs a question for you and begs a question for me. What other side is Jesus calling you to? What other side is Jesus calling you? There are a lot of other sides in lives. Sides that push up against our prejudices, sides that push up against our pride, push up, uh, push up away uh, against the way we judge, even places the other sides that push up against our theology. There, there are places where there are differences of lifestyles, opinions, values, skin color, sexual preferences. 
There are places of addiction and bondage, hunger, pain, and poverty, places of racism, places of difficulty, places of people who are vulnerable, who need more than charity. They need advocates. What other side is Jesus calling you to? It's an important question. It's an important question because Jesus becomes more relevant to the world when we share his love with the world. Think about that. Jesus becomes more relevant to the world when we go to the other side and share his love with the world where we go and love and be a light. So he tells his boys, get in the boat. They get in the boat. They arrive on the other side. Look what's, what's going on. Verse two. When he got out of the boat, immediately, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. So Mark is a storyteller. I love the book of Mark for many reasons. It's the shortest gospel. Anybody wanting to start reading the Bible, I always say start in the book of Mark because it's short, but on top of that, it's action-packed. He says immediately like 40 times out of the 60 times it's used in the entire New Testament. Mark is saying immediately Jesus did this. Immediately Jesus did that. Jesus steps out of the boat. He leads his boys out, and immediately he's confronted by a man from the tombs. All right, let's talk about the cemetery. Because a lot of people in that area, the 10 cities, would look at cemeteries as being haunted. So this man is in the tomb. Cemeteries in that time, the way you would make a cemetery, it wasn't like what we have here today where you you put a hole in the ground and just bury the body. What you would do is you would cut a hole in the side of a hill or a hole in the side of a mountain and you'd put whoever in those tombs. So... This demon-possessed man comes up to Jesus and he's living in the tomb. So I always try to put myself in, in the place of the, of the disciples. You know, what did this guy look like? And I was thinking about this as I was putting the teaching together. I was thinking, if you go to the Discovery Channel, I think he's like a, a combination of somebody off a of Duck Dynasty, somebody off of Naked and Afraid, somebody off of Swamp People, and then let's go over to Lord of the Rings. That, what's that little guy's name? Gollum? Is that his? You know, my precious. That's what I'm thinking this guy looks like. So he's confronted by this demon-possessed man. Let's keep going, verses three through five. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Circle that, underline it, put stars around it. You guys know we're gonna geek out and Greek out. I love doing that. This word's important in our story. They couldn't subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. So this man possessed by demons is living in the tombs. He's demon-possessed. So let's talk about demons. Demons are just angels who have rebelled against God. So if God is real, and he is, then Satan is real, and he is. Jesus believed that Satan was real. He's not just a metaphor for spiritual darkness. God has angels that minister to him and minister to us. Satan has demons that want to wreak havoc in this world. Now, what's interesting is usually when we Christ followers are talking about Satan and demons, non-Christ followers or new Christians are going, man, you Christians are just weirdos believing in all that stuff. Are we that weird? A handful of years ago, uh, uh, Gallup, there was a Gallup poll here in the United States, not polling the church, polling across America. And the Gallup poll asked a simple, simple question, do you believe in the supernatural? Three out of four people believed 
in some form of supernatural. And if you would go to other continents and other cultures, you'd find a lot more than three out of four believing in it. So we're not really that weird compared to the rest of the country. So back to this man. He's living in the tombs. No one wants to help him. They simply want to bind him. So let's talk about that word bind. Let's talk about the word subdue. The word subdue is important in this. The, the Greek word is demazo, demazo. And it doesn't mean just to like flex cuff somebody. It doesn't mean to just hold him down, you know, one person holding him down. The word was used with lion tamers. You know, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. In that time, it was associated with people who worked with animals, subduing a beast. They're, they're, they're trying to subdue him. They're trying to capture him. They're trying to tame him. They're trying to demazo him. And they can't. No one can tame him until he meets Jesus. Verses 6 and 7. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Okay, I never get to do like a demon-possessed voice from up here. Just go with me on it because it would not go over well if I said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? Okay, although that is a little creepy. So even the demon-possessed man runs up to Jesus and the New King James Version says that he worships him. When, worship doesn't mean like he's saying, oh, Jesus, you are welcome here. It's not that at all. The worship is he's bowing to Jesus' authority because even the demons, especially the demons, recognize Jesus for who he is, the Son of God. Jesus always did things for a purpose. He was always looking at the cross. Keep on going, verses 8 through 10. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he be began to implore. Uh, implore means to beg, to, to plead, to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. So Jesus isn't talking to the man here. He's talking to the demons. Jesus has to deal with the demons before he can deal with the man. And so he asks them the name, and the, the, the demons say, our name is Legion, for we are many. It's kind of weird. In, in the Roman military in Jesus' time, he had different sized military units. And, and the different sized military units included what's called a legion, 3,000 to 6,000 fighting men. It was a big, tough unit, a, a key fighting unit. So this man is possessed possibly by as many as 3,000 to 6,000 demons. And Legion begs Jesus not to send them away from the pagan place. Keep on going, verses 11 through 13. Now there was a large herd of swine, that's pigs, feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored, remember implored means beg. The demons begged, they prayed to him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. Jesus has authority. He has authority. So he gives them permission. And coming out of the unclean spirits, entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. About 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. We're talking about a boatload of bacon, people. We're talking about crazy bacon. We're talking hog wild. These guys rush into the ocean, and they kill 2,000 pigs. So let's talk about the pigs. The Gerasenes was an important area. Remember, no Jewish man, no Jewish woman 
No rabbi would ever go to the Gerasenes. And the reason why is, is it was a region where they raised pigs. Pigs are unclean for the Jewish people. So they wouldn't sell the pigs to the people of, of Israel and Palestine. What they would do is their number one customer, the Roman military. Because Roman military, they love themselves some bacon. They love themselves some pulled pork. So their number one customer was the Roman military. It's big business for them. And now look at this. Their business most likely is destroyed. Now remember, in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about how he came to give us life, to give us life more abundant. But he also said that Satan comes to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. What's Satan doing in this story? He's stolen the man's life. He's killed a bunch of pigs. Jesus didn't kill the pigs. Jesus allowed the demons to go into the pigs. But the demons who work for Satan go into the water. They kill 2,000 pigs. And with that, they steal, kill, they destroy the, the local economy. So now we've got tension in the story. Dun, dun, dun. It's Jesus and the village people. Verses 14 and 15. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. Okay, you got 2,000 pigs. You don't have a couple guys on, on four wheelers running around trying to contain the pigs. You've got a lot of people having to herd the pigs, and the pigs go into the water. The, the economy is destroyed. So the herdsmen go into the country, they go into the city, and they tell the story. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion. And look what happened. And they became frightened. All right, so the, the herdsmen are doing a pit maneuver. They've got to cover their backsides. So they go and tell everybody, what happened. hey, we didn't do this, we didn't do this. This man named Jesus, this rabbi shows up and he did it. And everybody shows up and they see Jesus standing there with the artist formerly known as La Cray Cray. And they're saying, what is going on here? And look what happens. They're frightened. Why do you think they're frightened? Because when you have much to love, you can have much to fear. Think about that. Whatever you love the most, if it's taken away, you, you fear that. So let's go back to the people. They have taken this man and they've sent him to IHOP for, for, for dine-in, the, the International House of Possession, the International House of Pig, the International House of Pain. He's not carrying out. He is dining in. They don't want to heal him. They want to subdue him. They want to subdue him. So they banish him. They're afraid of losing their economy. They're putting pigs before people. And this upsets Jesus. So what they do is they throw themselves in front of Jesus. They open the, the Gerasene Christian Church or the GCC in love with G-O-D and, and they start the first Christian church in all of the 10 cities. No, they don't. They became frightened. They became frightened. Look what happens, verse 17. And they began to implore. Remember, implore, it means to beg from the gut they, they begged him to leave the region. They've just witnessed a miracle. They've seen Jesus do something amazing with someone who's hurting, and they say, Jesus, get out of here. They put their comfort ahead of care. They put pigs ahead of people. Remember, they never tried to help him. They simply tried to bind him, which also begs another question for you and a question for me. How much are you, how much are we willing to lose to see pain alleviated and suffering eliminated? 
How much are we willing to lose to restore hope to the hurting? So I want to build on the teaching I was doing last week. And, and, and remember last week I talked about how God has a, a special place in his heart for four sets of people, four sets of people, uh, widows, immigrants, orphans, and the poor and marginalized. And there's a whole group of people that's, w- that's within that. Timothy Keller said these words, and I'm, I'm gonna be leaning heavily into some of the things he talked about in Generous Justice. He said that God identifies with the people at the bottom of the ladder. So let's talk about that. I want to spend some time and I want to talk about this. It's a hot button term, social justice. Let's just not call it social justice. I want to stand on the Bible. Let's call it biblical justice because the Bible is just stacked with biblical justice. Hundreds upon hundreds of verses which talk about how we need to love God and we need to love others, how we need to restore hope to the hurting. So let's talk about that. In the Bible, there are two primary words used for justice, uh, tzedakah and mishpat. Uh, Tzedakah actually is more like righteousness. It it means to have charity for others, to do good works. That's what tzedakah means. It's about treating people equally. That's a good thing. Mishpat goes a step further when it comes to justice. Mishpat, it's actually a judicial term that's used in Hebrew, but what, what, what mishpat means It means to rectify injustice, and that's important for us. It means taking corrective action. So when we start talking biblical justice, we're we're talking about what it means to take corrective action and restore justice. So I wanna, uh, let's look at this. Micah 6, verse 8. Micah 6, verse 8 is probably the most popular book, or uh, one of the most popular verses in the Bible. And when it comes to justice, it's, it's up there number one or number two. Micah 6, 8 says, What does the Lord require of you, O people, but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord? So do justice. What, it, it's not tzedakah. That's righteousness. That's treating equally. That's a good thing. It's mishpat to take corrective action to right wrongs that have happened. So what I want to do is I want to talk about those, uh, those four groups of people. It, they've been called the, the quartet of the vulnerable. I call them the quadrant of pain. Widows, orphans, immigrants, and people who are poor and marginalized. So let's start off first and let's kill the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is racism. So let's talk about this. This week, we commemorated the murder of George Floyd one year ago one year ago. And, and when, when everything was going on last year, because we're talking biblical justice here, when everything was going on last year, it, it was the tipping point for our African-American brothers and sisters. That was the thing where they finally said, enough, something has to, has to be changed. So at that time, you had the Black Lives Matter movement that was really kicking off. I'm not talking the organization, I just wanna talk the movement. The movement had been around, but it really took off during that time. So remember, we're talking about mishpat, taking corrective action. So you have the Black Lives Matter movement that's kicking off, and then you've got the, all of a sudden, another hashtag, instead of BLM that shows up, you have another hashtag called ALM, All Lives Matter. So let's talk Bible. God does not disagree that all lives matter. In fact, he'd agree 100% that all lives matter. If you look at John 3.16, that tells us all lives matter. For God so loved the world, that's everybody. That's all lives. All lives that he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus for everybody. Whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. 
But the issue is when it comes to mishpat, remember taking corrective action for those who have been wronged, advocating for someone. When we say all lives matter, not all lives have an equal voice. And in the quadrant of pain, we've got to remember that with all four of those groups. I'm going to talk about all four of those groups in a second, but I, as I said, I want to hone in on this racism piece, especially where we are in our, in our country right now. So with all of that going on, uh, we, we had these hashtags going back and forth. Not all lives have an equal voice. And so here's where we are right now. It seems like where we are right now, you've got one side saying there's a systemic issue of racism, and, and that systemic issue has to be solved. We, we solve it with more government. We solve it with more laws and, and, and other things like that. Then you've got another side that's saying, wait a second, no, let's, talk, let's have a conversation about black-on-black crime. Let's have a conversation about individual values, the breakdown of families in the inner city, and what we're doing is we're not even talking like this. We're talking like this. And back to biblical justice, because, because Mishpat is all about corrective action. Enter Jesus. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul writes that we're supposed to weep with those who weep. I've said it from this platform so many times that racism is a sin. Racism is a sin. And what happens is we try to solve the problem without Jesus. And if it's a sin issue and you're trying to solve it on your own without Jesus, you're going to lose. So let's just say we're talking like this. What happens is when we say we weep for those who weep, that means we sit in their experience. And when we weep with those who weep, look what happens. All of a sudden, we're humbling ourselves. And we're sitting in a person's experience who's struggling who's on the receiving end of sin, on the receiving end of pain. And we establish relationships, and now we're looking at people not as an issue, an issue to be solved, but a people to be loved. We weep with those who weep. What was difficult is when all this was going on, all of a sudden there was a hashtag that showed up, hashtag ACAB, all cops are, let's just say, bad, because I don't want to cuss from the platform. On top of that, you had all, this, uh, all of these businesses being destroyed, businesses that were owned not only by African-American African and people of color, but other people too. And the response to hate was hate. That's also a sin. Again, we're, we're talking biblical justice here. I don't want to do political correctness. Biblical justice taking corrective action, rectifying injustice. So this past week, I'm looking at the news, I'm looking at my Facebook feed, I'm having conversations with a whole lot of people of different backgrounds and races. And here's what I found, that racism is still real here in this area, here in our country, in this world. I just looked at six different sets of people who I talked to this week who had received, had been on the receiving end of some form of racism. Obviously, our African-American brothers and sisters, I've talked enough about that, I've talked about that. Uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters and friends. Anti-Semitism is through the roof right now, especially after the latest uh, Israeli-Hamas fight that was going on. So they're on the receiving end of racism. Our Asian friends, our Asian brothers and sisters, right now, crimes against Asians are the most that we've seen in 10 years. But on top of that, our Lummi brothers and sisters, people within the Native American tribes in this region, specifically the Lummi, our Sikh friends, 
our Hispanic friends. Folks, my point is this, is that God calls us to rectify. Yes, all lives matter, but not all lives have an equal voice. So he calls on us individually and collectively to step in there and weep with those who weep and take it to a next level, whatever that may be. So let's talk about this because I, I want to I look at the quadrant of pain because here's the thing. It's not the woke thing to do. I'm so tired of hearing that stupid word woke. It's not the woke thing to do. It's the biblical thing to do. So let's look at other places and other people within that, that quadrant of pain. Remember, four areas, widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor and marginalized. So I just made a list of some people that came to mind. Uh, people who are in addiction or addiction recovery, they need Jesus. They need mishpat. Children who are abused physically, emotionally, sexually, foster kids, orphans, the homeless. Here's one. Let's, let's, let's press on this one. What, what, the homeless, God calls on us to advocate and advocate could be a lot of different things, but what we may want to say is, well, wait a second, you know, they got to clean up their act first because I, I gave a whole bunch of clothes down at Civic Field to, to the, the homeless population there, and I saw those same clothes that I gave floating in, in, in a mud puddle because they didn't care. Listen, mishpat is not based on the condition of the behavior of the person to get it right. It's unconditional. We advocate we rectify, and that happens in so many different ways, so many different ways. Anyone dealing with inequality, gender inequality, for example, LGBTQ. LGBTQ, everyone is made in the image of God, and everyone deserves to be treated with dignity, mishpat. The mentally challenged. I didn't know that this past month was Mental Health, health Month. Uh, people with anxiety, depression, Bipolarism, schizophrenia. What about our senior citizens out there? They do justice. We need to do something for our senior citizens. This, those in sex trafficking, boys, girls, men, women, who are in the throes of sex trafficking. The teenage mom is kicked out of her home. What about the unborn? What about the unborn? You know, we, we talk about all lives matter, but and not all lives have an equal voice. Not all lives have a voice at all. There's a reason why here at Cornwall Church, we are pro-life. And the reason is, is we want to stand up for that person, that, that person who's unborn. But we also want to take the, the woman who's gone through and had an abortion and put our arms around her and just tell her Jesus loves you and can heal you. Please, please let us share him with you because you can't be made whole in any other way but through Jesus. Veterans. Veteran suicide is what my shirt's about. Veteran suicide. Memorial Day weekend is a crap weekend for me. I hate it. I, do. I, I never have fun Memorial Day weekend. On this weekend... More veterans take their lives than any other weekend, 22 a day. On this weekend, it goes even further. How are we rectifying? How are we doing justice? How are we doing mishpat? And it's messy, guys. It's messy. And God calls on us to weep with those who weep. Who do you know right now? Who do you know right now is weeping alone? We weep with those who weep because it's the biblical thing to do. It's so hard. 
It's so complex. We do it individually, we do it corporately. Let's go back to our story. Back to our story. Now the pig lovers stood at a crossroad. They could embrace Jesus, they could embrace the man, or they could embrace their own self-interest. Look at what they do. They implored Jesus to leave. Let's keep on going, verses 18 and 19. As he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring, remember that means begging, imploring him that he might accompany him. And he, Jesus, did not let him, but he said to him, go home. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. The man has a changed life. Remember Jesus said, I came to give you life and give it, give it to you more abundantly. It doesn't look like this guy has a, an abundant life. He's definitely not rich. Most likely, he's, if, if he has a family in that area, most likely that family's economy has been destroyed. Their business has been destroyed, so he's not a rich man. He's probably not a good-looking man. If you are living in the tombs and you're, you're, you're being cut all the time and you're living in the mountains and you're gashing yourself and breaking chains, you're pretty scarred up. But here's what he had. He had Jesus, and with Jesus, he had purpose. And Jesus says, go home. It's a precursor to the Great Commission that we talked about last week. Go and make disciples, teaching them about me, Jesus says, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go home. And I can just hear the guy, when Jesus says, go home, he says, but Jesus, you don't know what those people did to me. Oh, yeah, I'm Jesus, but go home. But I don't know what I did to those people when I was possessed. Go home. But Jesus, go home. And we can say the same thing. But Jesus, don't you know how they hurt me? Go home. Don't you know what they, go home. Darius' story is such a beautiful story and such a big part of this. Go home and share my love. Weep with those who weep. Do mishpat. Do justice. Go home. And by the love of Christ, this man's change. Now it requires something of him. One of my favorite verses is Luke 12, verse 48. I'm taking it a little bit out of context, but man, does it apply. Let's look at this. Jesus says, for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, look at this, look at this, much more will be asked. God has given us so much and he wants us to affect change. He wants us to restore hope to the hurting, to share his love with others. It's as if Jesus is saying, you want to be my disciple, there's a price you're going to pay. It's a difficult price because it's going to cost you emotionally. You're going to be spent because what I'm calling to you to do is difficult. It's messy. It's not black and white. So it's going to cost you spiritually because I'm going to push against your theology. And it's going to cost you physically. Be ready to be tired. But go home. Do justice. Verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis, that's the 10 cities, what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. The man was obedient. In the words of the great theologian Bruce Springsteen, he saw that there was darkness on the edge of town and he went home and he told everybody. Now look at this, beforehand they were all frightened. When they see Jesus and Lecrae Cray sitting right there and, and he's in his right mind. Now then they're amazed because he's gone 
home, and he's told them about the amazing things Jesus had done. He becomes the first missionary to the 10 cities. Let me land this plane. Let's look at this. My hope today has been to stir something in you, not to guilt and shame. I always preach to myself. I say it most weekends when I preach. I'm always preaching to myself first. And what's so hard is God clocked me in the head with this. He does it every time I preach, but this one was, man, it was, it was, it was tough. And I, I had to ask myself a question, and I almost didn't put it in today's teaching, but I'm just gonna share it. If Jesus would disrupt my way of life, would I ask him to leave? If Jesus would disrupt my way of life, would I say, Jesus, no, just get out of here. I don't have time. Now, I love what the Lighthouse Mission is doing here in Bellingham. It's our local uh, homeless mission. What Hans and the people there are doing is amazing. It's a couple of you here in our audience today are, are part of the Lighthouse Mission. Thank you for what you do. Now, my wife and I donate to the Lighthouse Mission. I got a heart for the homeless. And, and what God just called me on was, Kip, you know, you, you, you love giving to them. That's awesome. But I need you to put some, 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 some tread on those shoes. You know, when you drive by that guy every single week, his, actually his name is Kevin, I found out. He holds this cardboard sign. And, and I just drive by because, you know, I give to Lighthouse Mission. I don't need to talk to the guy. And God clocked me. No, you got to pull your nice Ford F-150 over and you need to go talk to this man because he's got a story you need to hear. <sighs> All right, here I go. So I went up and talked to the guy and I, and, and I said, hey, man, can I get you a cup of coffee? And he goes, yeah. He said, load it up with sugar and cream, whatever coffee you got. So I got it and I came and sat down with Kevin. And he told me a story. And as he told me a story, guess what? I was able to weep with those who weep. And all of a sudden, I'm not driving by now. Every week, I'm seeing Kevin, and I want to talk to Kevin because he's got an amazing story about pain and a burden, and he's not even there yet. And it's so funny. Every time this happens, again, I'm not, oh, look how holy Kip is. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, this is how God clocked me in the head with this. I wrote this sermon a few weeks ago. God's amazing like that. What he clocked me in the head with was, it's good to pray. You know, week two, I talked about how we rebel against evil as we pray. That's a good thing. Prayer moves mountain. It's angelic artillery. But sometimes it's good to get off your knees, and instead of praying for the downtrodden, or in addition to praying for the downtrodden, you trod in the dirt with those who are down. God clocked me on this, guys. I'm guilty. I like to write devotionals. I love writing sermons. I love getting to preach. And, and so I'm there behind my keyboard and God clocks me. He's like, dude, will you stop and get out and be with people? This is important, but I, I need you to be with people. Here at Cornwall Church, folks, our vision is to glorify God by altering the spiritual landscape one life at a time through Jesus. We do it in three primary ways. I've talked about it before. Let me just hone in on today because one of those ways is a, a niche of Cornwall Church. It's go and be where we go and be the hands and feet of Jesus outside these walls, where we go and love and be a light. Here at Cornwall Church, we feel that if you pull our church out of the community, community, there better be a whole heck of a lot of pain because of that. Because we've got to walk within the quadrant of pain. Widows, orphans, immigrants, the marginalized. God calls us to there. And he wants us to be disrupted 
because it's hard. It's hard to do tzedakah, charity, and treating people equally. And it's hard to do mishpat, reaching out and in some way, shape, or form, whatever that may be, rectifying injustice. And sometimes it's simply having a cup of coffee with Kevin and the cardboard sign. Sometimes it's more than that. So I want to give you a challenge as I wrap up today. Here's your challenge. Your challenge is to choose to be disrupted. Choose to be disrupted. This week, I want you to take time just to pray. God, show me the brokenness. Show me where you want me to step into the brokenness. Give me a burden. Give me a burden for brokenness. Help me weep with those who weep. Help me be part of rectifying a crazy world that you praise Jesus are holding things together. So if you want to find out some more about how to, to rectify how to restore hope to the hurting, to be part of our Go and Be ministry. Very simple to do. Uh, for those of you watching online in the chat right now, there's a link to, uh, to our, our Go and Be ministries and, and the things that we're doing regionally, locally, and internationally. For those of us here, though, and, and, and others in Skagit, you just go to cornwallchurch.com, click on ministries, go to Go and Be, and you're gonna see some pretty cool things that God is doing, and he wants us to join him in his activity. Now in Skagit, when, when you guys walk out in Skagit, there are posters in your commons and, and you can just take your phone, take a picture of the QR code and it will guide you from there. Here in Bellingham, what we're gonna do is at the end of the service, we've got Darius and, and, and out talk, you can talk to Darius about the amazing ministry that God's called him to as well as several of our ministry partners who are going in love and being a light. Guys, this is an honor that we get to do God's calling on us as Christ followers to flip the script on the enemy. The enemy's real, and God's not going to let him take us down. Are you ready to do it? Choose to be disrupted. Skadge, I'm going to turn you guys over to Pastor Jeff. Thank you so much for what's going on in the Skadge. Thank you for loaning us Pastor Brian, who's going to be up here next week with a shorter TV talking about engage in relationships. For those of you watching online, stick around. We're going to close in prayer here in Bellingham. Let's stand and let me close this in prayer. God, you're so good to us. You're so good to us. And even in spite of the ugliness of this world, we have hope in you, Jesus. And God, as we wrap up today, I just pray that the words I said honored you. Uh, I, I pray that I got them right. Forgive me if I didn't. And I pray, Lord, as we step out of here, you give us courage. Courage to love well, because it's hard, God, in a crazy world where there's so much confusion. Clear it up for us, God. Help us embrace the mess, though. Help us reach out and go in love and be a light. All God's incredible people, precious in his sight, said, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he shower you with grace and give you great peace as you go in love and be the light this week. Amen. Have a great week, folks. Thanks.